Over the past year, the American Hospital Association and the National Association of County and City Health Officials, NACHO, have worked together with CDC to support and identify community-based collaboratives in which health systems, local health departments, and local partners are making a real difference in advancing health and well-being for all through collaborative assessment and improvement planning. Welcome to Advancing Health, a podcast brought to you by the American Hospital Association. I'm Tom Hederly, Senior Writer for AHA. Today, Peter Holtgrave, Senior Director for Performance Management for Nacho, leads a discussion on community-based collaboratives. Let's join him now. Thanks, Tom. This is Peter Holtgrave with Nacho, and I welcome you to today's podcast. It's widely accepted that working meaningfully towards healthy communities requires coordinated efforts between healthcare delivery systems, public health, and diverse community-based organizations. Over the past year, the American Hospital Association and the National Association of County and City Health Officials, or NACHO, have worked together with CDC supports to identify community-based collaboratives in which health systems, local health departments, and local partners are really making a difference in advancing health and well-being for all through collaborative assessment and improvement planning. Today, we're going to speak with a leader from one of these communities, as well as my colleague with the American Hospital Association. I'll turn it over to them to introduce themselves, starting with Nancy. Thanks, Peter. This is Nancy Myers. I'm the Vice President of Leadership and System Innovation with the American Hospital Association and happy to be with you today. This is Heidi Gullett. I'm a public health and family physician from Cleveland, Ohio, and I work as medical director for a local health department, the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. I'm also a physician with a local federally qualified community health center and faculty at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine Center for Community Health Integration. Okay. Why don't we go ahead and kick off today's conversation with Nancy to um, ask us about some some of the key motivating factors that bring these organizations together. Thanks, Peter. Um, Heidi, again, thanks for joining us. wanted to start with a question about the HIP-Cuyahoga partnership, which is the focus of our conversation today. You know, beyond meeting regulatory requirements, either on the health department side or the hospital and health system side, what do you see as some of the key motivators for the organizations that have come together to get involved in this joint project? Well, thank you so much for having me today and being able to give us a platform to talk about the work we're doing in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. That's a really important question because this is complex work and it needs to be sustained over the long term. So there has to be a case for each partner to see themselves individually and their organizations in this work. We really started 10 years ago and we built an infrastructure around collective impact movement so that we could begin to tackle some of the really complex health issues, the things that were really causing differences for health outcomes for different groups in our community. And we we created a shared narrative around equity, and that took a lot of time to actually build what equity meant and to make sure folks really understood what that meant for their work as well. And so a lot of the motivation for individual organizations and even individual residents and community uh, stakeholders who came to us independent of their organizations was really around understanding that notion of equity and realizing that they wanted to see everyone in our community have the opportunity to reach their full potential 
So that's one of the big drivers that's brought together this collaborative community health improvement plan, but it really stems back to 10 years of trust building, relationship building, and working through lots of different early projects to sort of demonstrate that we were in this for the long haul to make a big improvement in our community long term. Yeah, so I, I'd like to ask a follow-up question to that. You know, the thing that I think is really interesting about Cuyahoga County and, and many other areas where this work is happening is it is a product or an evolution of other work that's been in place and, and you know, not something that just popped up overnight or in a short period of time. So were there any particular historical relationships um, that – have been fostering forward to the consortium that you have today or certain public health or challenges or economic challenges that the community was facing that really helped gel the players that are now part of this consortium moving forward? Absolutely. So I'll talk separately about some of the contextual pieces that have set the stage for needing collaborative action in our community around equity. And then I'll separately talk about some of the organizational and individual relationships that also fostered getting to the point where we are today. So first in talking about the actual issues in our community, over 10 years ago, we had a group of really concerned and committed folks who dedicated themselves in the Place Matters movement, which was really about understanding how place impacts health and opportunity. And that group grew into the first version of the Health Improvement Partnership Cuyahoga, we affectionately call it HIP Cuyahoga. And we began to um, actually come together and create an infrastructure with bylaws and those sorts of things because we realized that Place Place Matters identified this real important issue of racial inequities in our community and how they were tied to economic opportunity and health outcomes. But we needed something formal in order to get people mobilized around a shared agenda and then also to bring together resources that would allow us to realize that. And so HIP Cuyahoga was born through our, at the time, three local health departments who identified this need to address racial equity as the foundation of how we can do improvement planning and health improvement in our community. And that also was a partnership that we had with the Kerwin Institute at the Ohio State University, who really helped us understand the impact of redlining in our community as it did in 230 other communities around the country. That that unfortunate historical legacy of redlining has led to significant segregation and particularly communities of color in Cuyahoga County and greater Cleveland we're in places that have limited opportunity for them economically as well as from a health perspective. And so if you look at the redlining map and you look at that linked to poverty or linked to life expectancy or infant mortality, those big population health proxy measures that sort of give you a sense for the health of a community, you can see the inequities based on these policy decisions from the 1930s. And you can see the contemporary injustices that we see in the many health outcomes. You can also look at lead, you can look at incidence and mortality of different cancers, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. So that was a real defining moment, beginning with Place Matters and then moving into the HIP Cuyahoga Consortium development of saying, we're grounding this in an understanding that eliminating structural racism and addressing racial equity as a shared value is something that we're putting down as our collective commitment moving forward. And that's a commitment for a couple decades because it didn't just happen overnight. 
And that's really, I think, one of the things that's galvanized our community. It's taken a long time to get that out in the press and to get that out to a common narrative in many organizations because it's uncomfortable. But the reality is we will never see equity achieved in our community until we call it out and then act upon it over the long haul. And that means building trust as well. There are also a lot of relationships that I've already alluded to a little bit on the public health side that allowed this to happen. We've had a very strong public health collaborative with our three local health departments that are now two local health departments, Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. And they continue, um, the Cuyahoga County Board of Health continues to be the backbone for this organization, for this consortium. And then there's a strong relationship with the Center for Health Affairs, which is the regional hospital association in our community, which is really a neutral convener for many hospital systems that all have, um, you know, competing marketplace uh, issues, but we're really wanting to do the right thing by the community. And so the Center for Health Affairs and the local health departments have partnered very closely with um, myself at CCBH and Case Western Reserve to really move this forward. You know, we view ourselves as neutral conveners at Case and at um, the Hospital Association in order to be able to build on our partnerships and the common narratives that we have grounded back in all of that racial equity data. Um, there are also a lot of other partnerships that also have paved the way. So, for example, we have a very strong relationship with our United Way, which is our convener for our community-based organizations, and we're working with them on a lot of exciting projects right now around social determinants in the clinical setting and addressing uh, racial equity in some of the community-based organizations' sphere. So, there are a lot of other partnerships. I don't want to uh, undersell any of those, but the ones I've described are really the big ones that have led us to the collaborative community health assessment and improvement planning processes that we're talking about today. Great. Thanks. Peter, would you like to get in on the conversation? Uh, that would be great. So this is great. I'd, I'd really like to ask more about the, um, the fact of how the your coalition is changing over time. And if you were involved in kind of the beginning stages of how this coalition has evolved, I know it, you've described like you have a very mature coalition. It's been around for about 10 years. You've already marshaled around a kind of a shared vision, it sounds like, around equity and addressing structural um, racism um, and through this Place Matters group that you described. But I'm also wondering about things like, you know, even in the beginning stages or as the coalition evolves, how did you have to think about things around cultivating a shared language? Because often the healthcare community and po uh, population health practitioners don't speak the same lang language. Um, were there, was there a process by which you had to, for example, really understand kind of the regulatory and, and legal requirements by which each of these different partners, the health department, the hospital systems, et cetera, and these other partners operated to make sure that your time was well spent and that you could build upon that shared vision to really keep moving forward? Absolutely. All of that. <laughs> so, you know, a complex consortium like this with lots of cross-sector partners who speak very different languages requires moving at the speed of trust and at the speed of literacy. So we have these ground rules that we got from our Common Health Action colleagues who are the longtime uh, consultants for us. And one of those is literacy moments. We actually put these up at every single meeting, and that's where we identify that we're all speaking a different language and we're talking about different regulatory requirements and using different acronyms. And part of leveling the playing field across sectors is making sure that we never have a meeting where anyone feels like they don't know what we're talking about or they aren't empowered to speak up and tell us what their sector position or their individual perspective is. So we have spent a very long time capacity building, and I'm talking years of capacity building with consultants around equity and understanding what that is but also around understanding where each sector is coming from 
I sit across those sectors because I'm both a clinician in a complex healthcare system, a couple systems, and I'm also a public health doctor. So I speak both languages, but I see that we talk past each other a lot. And so part of my role has been sort of navigating that space and understanding it and then bringing in our community-based organization partners who speak yet another different language. So back, we've now done three community health assessments um, in 2013, 18, and 19. And in 2013, we created a community health improvement plan ultimately released in 2015, where we created an objective where we wanted to build an infrastructure and a common way to do these assessments together, which thankfully resulted in our 2018 and 2019 collaborative assessments. But part of what I want to point out here is that we had to be very intentional. That was one of our four key priorities for five years. And during that time, we really focused on language. We focused on trust. We focused on organizational agendas balanced with the collective will and the collective good, which is not an easy task. There's a lot of tension in that space. And there are times where I'll, I'll say in meetings, like, I need to call out that, you know, there's an attention here, right? You have an organizational agenda, you need to have a budget, and you need to get your organizational priorities achieved. But we have a collective good here, too. And we need to find out where we all see ourselves in that work. And that's only a conversation you can have after you've spent a long time building trust. The other more practical piece is just that the hospitals have a lot of different requirements on the IRS side. And the health departments have a lot of different requirements on the FAB side, and both change, and they have changed over the time we've been doing this. So we have a very open, regular dialogue coming through about how can we um, get these organizations to understand each other and each other's needs. And in fact, this week, we have a meeting where we have our accreditation coordinator coming in and talking about the new FAB requirements for reaccreditation and our hospitals are all going to be there. So these are things that we very often bring up and talk about. Um, and even the process of going through, you know, a MAP process was new to the hospitals. So understanding what elements of the MAP process do we need to make sure everybody understands. Uh, so there are a lot of examples I could give you, but I want to, you know, other people who may be listening and doing this work, you know, a lesson learned for us is, is really making sure that we spend time to build those relationships and have some psychological safety in those interactions in, in meetings and in rooms with one another that we can say, I don't understand what you're doing, or this goes against what I need to do for my organization. How can we rectify this? Yeah, that's very interesting. And just for our listeners, um, the MAP process you're alluding to is something that NATO supports for communities is the Mobilizing for Action Through Planning and Partnership Framework of um, helping communities through a joint or shared assessment and planning and strategic planning process, really honoring community voice. And what you also shared is often, I I just want to ask a little bit about, is you said you went from assessments from 2013 to 18, so over a five-year period, and then 18 and 19, so about one year. And many health departments and communities would say, how on on earth were you able to engage in yet another process in less than a year? And we often at Nature talk about how assessment planning should be ongoing anyway, but there's always this aspiration that we hear that if hospital systems and health departments can align their um, CHA-CHIP and CHNA um, and CHIP process, that there is kind of a, a more efficient process. And I, I just want to ask, is that a result of this greater efficiency of working together over time is you can really condense down um, how frequently you can do these committee-based assessments and really re- kind of recalibrate your prioritization as, as partners? That's a really great question. So ours was an issue of uh, compliance, to be honest with you, but a product of our ability now to work together in nimble and new ways. So 
we did 2013 um, and again in 2018 with the health local health departments and our one hospital because they went into the IRS um, cycle a year before the other four hospitals. And then the other hospitals um, were due to go in 2019. And so that one hospital system turned around, committed significant financial resources, not just in kind, with the two health departments who also did that in order to align all the cycles. So we did it because we wanted everyone to be aligned on the same cycle moving forward. And we finally had commitment, including our governmental hospital, who had no IRS obligation to do this, but felt it was the right thing. In fact, their CEO just tweeted a couple weeks ago, we did this because it was the right thing to do for our community. So it's really a product of needing to do it, yet I feel like it represents something much bigger. And in doing this, we sought out a whole new way of doing community health improvement. So in the 2019 cycle, we said we didn't have enough primary data. We need to hire community health workers to go out into underrepresented neighborhoods and collect data about quality of life and what matters to people in neighborhoods. And then we also did other sampling, random sample, sampling, random mail sampling. And then we also felt like interviews were really important with key stakeholders. So we found other ways of finding information we thought was missing from prior assessments. And then in moving forward, we're going to be continuously doing elements of the assessment and our improvement planning process. And one of those is that we actually sought foundation funding to create a, a shared data infrastructure that was just released last week, healthynortheastohio.org, which then allows us to look at a number of, of variables for our community in real time, but also allows us to upload primary data that we collect. And that's irrespective of the hospitals or health departments. So we're all a part of that. And so that allows us, that's another tool that allows us to do that ongoing continuous improvement planning. We still have a community health improvement plan slash implementation strategy that has five key elements to it. And we're going to have plans for each of those. But we believe that this work is best done continuously. And the reality is when you begin to work together in different new ways and you have trust, you can jump on things you never dreamed possible. For example, we, we real, realized we were eligible to apply for a cross-sector innovation grant to address eliminating structural racism, and we applied. Five sectors applied in a very short period of time. We could never have done that as part of our community health improvement planning process if we didn't have this idea that we continuously can you know, work together and focus on um, new projects. So I hope that gives you some idea of kind of how we're viewing it. It does, Heidi. Thank you. And I think it's a great example of uh, an issue that comes up all the time is about how to align these different types of um, opportunities, whether they're IRS-based or FAB requirements, um, and really building upon that to make a more, much more efficient um, process that's more participatory is really helpful to hear. Another aspect of this I'd love to um, get your thoughts on is to what extent, and maybe this has changed over time, do you feel like um, how you define the populations that you're serving as partners how well, does, how well does that overlap and how have you kind of reconciled the differences? So often hospital systems, their patient, you know, um, jurisdictions, if you will, are, are one boundary and there's often overlap with the jurisdictions of local health departments, but there's often differences too. So to what extent have you as a partnership, a consortium kind of dealt with that issue? That's also a fundamental question, and I, I feel like you know all of the challenges we've encountered <laughs> over the past few years because you're able to really call out those key questions, and clearly other communities are struggling with them too. Um, so the issue of service area or population served, 
is an issue that quite honestly has the potential to break a consortium because if you're going to do a collaborative assessment, you have to have the same population identified. And for hospitals, that often will cross geographic and political jurisdictions. And so that becomes really hard when you're trying to do this together. So we've had a little of both as far as thinking about how to reconcile that. Um, we actually had some hospitals completely switch their service area definitions and go by county. And that's actually what allowed us to do 2018 and 2019 together with um, our hospitals. A few of the hospitals said, you know, we have a secondary service area and this other place, but we'll go with the primary here. And so we were able to use that. We have another hospital system that's not comfortable with that designation. And so what we said was, please stay at the table. We want to continue to work with you. How can we do that? And one way that we were able to do that was by building this data infrastructure regionally. So when we sought funding for it, we said, this isn't just Cuyahoga County, one county, one population, which we've identified in this assessment. But going forward, we would love to be able to provide data infrastructure that crosses multiple counties, not a regional health assessment. That's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is understanding how we can provide accurate data for our partners who cross multiple counties and multiple political jurisdictions. Um, so it's not an easy question, and it actually kept us stuck for a while, to be honest with you. But we worked around it. And my position as one of the coaches of this work was, listen, I want everybody at the table. What's best for our community is that all of our partners stay at the table and we work through the challenges legally or philosophically. And we think about how we can move further and further together as we go forward. Um, so we, we certainly, we don't have complete agreement, but we've had enough that we're able to do work together. And I think that's ultimately what really matters. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Let me turn it back to you, Nancy. Heidi, I'd like to pick up on the a theme you were just speaking about, which is that you don't have to have 100% agreement from everyone at the table about every topic of your work together in order to be able to do meaningful work together, that there just needs to be common focus and vision for that significant overlap piece. So when it came to, in addition to agreeing on population of folks that you were serving, which you were just talking about, once you understood the needs of the community together through your common assessment, the next step is then to narrow down and decide which areas of need you feel like you can best work together around as a consortium. So from a very practical standpoint, how did that conversation go? And how is it that your very diverse group of folks that were interested and committed were able to decide what, what those top three or five areas were going to be. Was it, was it a democracy and everybody voted? Was it a consensus method? How did you have that conversation? So that's a really great question and something I'm really excited to talk about because 2019 was very different than our prior years. So one important contextual piece is that for our larger consortium for HIP Cuyahoga, we have four key approaches. One of them is perspective transformation, which is making racial equity a shared value, which I already talked about earlier in our discussion. The second is collective impact. The third is community engagement. And the fourth is health and equity in all policy. And I want to highlight that community engagement key approach because that was critical in um, 
the approach we took to address the question you asked me. So this particular time, I talked before about the primary data collection that we did. We did um, mail surveys. We did community health workers deployed in neighborhoods collecting information. We did key stakeholder interviews. But then what we did is we took what we consolidated our understanding from all of that information and all of our secondary data analyses, and we went and did community meetings on the east side, on the west side, if you know anything about Cleveland. Some people don't go across the city. So, you know, we felt like geographically we needed to make sure we were in communities and giving people an opportunity to speak. And so we shared the process with them. And then we shared um, a, diff a number of different uh, priorities that had risen during the assessment. And then community members at each of those meetings voted and had a dialogue with uh, led by community health workers talking about what they most felt like we needed to address. We then came back and had a bigger conversation with the hospitals and local health departments who are ultimately responsible for carrying out the improvement plan and implementation strategy. And as part of that, the hospitals and health departments agreed to bring in community residents to vote, to have a, a share of the voting in what those priorities are. And that's the first time in our community that residents have actually been able to say, this is what I think you all should work on. And it actually is not just influencing the decision of the people responsible, but actually part of the vote. And that was a really powerful day for us. And so we ultimately have come now through that process with five issues. And two of them, I don't think maybe necessarily would have been identified without that community engagement approach, which are five are eliminating structural racism, which has continued from our prior improvement plan, enhancing trust, and trustworthiness, and that's on multiple levels, addressing community conditions such as poverty and its effects, enhancing mental health and reducing substance abuse, and reducing chronic illness and its effects. So those are the um, priorities that we just, in, a few months ago, with a great community input, were able to identify. And the other thing I'll say, too, is our state of Ohio, we have some really wonderful people working at the state level on the state health improvement plan, and we also have a requirement that we have at least one strategy that really interfaces with our state health improvement plan. We actually have multiple, but that's also been a nice policy piece for us to say, hey, we all have to do this, hospitals, health departments. So we should also think about what our state is telling us matters across the state. And in fact, many of those things are reflected at the local level. So that's been an, also a nice piece um, where community engagement has been important in that conversation as well. And I'd like to ask you to reflect on what the impact of your collaborative activity has been from your perspective. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the outcomes that you're changing because you're still early on in the work and you don't necessarily have hard, quantifiable outcomes measures. But on the organizations that are at the table, how has this collaborative activity changed them or changed the way that they do work? And same question in terms of you, you, you mentioned getting the community members involved. Do you think that that involvement and in, in engaging the community differently in that collaboration has already made some changes, perhaps even in that area of trust that you talked about? Absolutely. So uh, what I would say is that our consortium has been working at multiple levels for a long time, and we're really good at doing programs that come out of our last improvement plan. We have a lot of great outcome measures around our racial and ethnic approaches to community health and chronic disease. So we can give you those programmatic evaluation data that are, are actually really 
you know, powerful. We're very happy with the, that work. But what we've also tried to do is simultaneously work at the systems level to impact systems change in tackling those big upstream determinants of health that are really hard to do for any one organization or individuals. Um, but at the same time, we're also trying to think about how are we all working together differently? And I think that's what your question was about. But I wanted to highlight that we're really trying to evaluate the impact of the consortium at all three levels, the systems and structure and policy impact, the impact of people working together differently, uh, big organizations, big employers, how are they working together differently to make improvements in our community. And then also programmatically downstream, those programs are important for people and we need to continue them linked to our community health improvement plan. But that's the kind of stuff we're all comfortable with. We're all really good at those kind of outcomes. We aren't so good at measuring the impact of how we're working together differently or what system impact we're making. And so we're, we're exploring different ways of evaluating those two. But anecdotally, I can tell you that we have now the ability to turn around, for example, that grant I gave you, um, example I gave you earlier, you know, we, we found out right before I came on this discussion with you that we received that. And that only happened because we were able to say, hey, I was able to call up people and, and they were able to call up people and say, hey, we've been talking about this for a long time. We're serious about this. And now we have an opportunity and we all pull together and we can write something together that's cohesive because we all have a shared vision. We also have organizations choosing to do things differently internally. And I think that's really powerful as well, because you see both internal and external transformation. And a lot of that is around equity, diversity, and inclusion. A number of the partner organizations that have been in this movement for a while have said, we're taking a different look at how we address diversity, inclusion, and equity inside of our organizations. The kind of vendors we use, our hiring practices, our retention, the way we support employees, the way we do results-based accountability, and those sorts of things. So I think we're beginning to see a lot of changes. And um, one example I'll give you is from a couple weeks ago, a number of our organizations wanted to use um, referral systems for social determinants of health that are identified in the clinical space. And so we were able to bring together a group of folks on short notice and say, hey, hospitals, community health centers, we all want to refer to community-based organizations. How can we do that in a cohesive way so they're able to handle all of our referrals and they're not getting lots of different systems coming their way? And so now we're in a, a working group. We have a working group together, actually a huge group together, focused on that. And I think that's an example of how hospitals are saying, I can slow down my process and we can change our process to make sure that what we do is best for the community-based organizations and the people we all serve. And that those are the kind of illustrations to me about how this work is transforming all of us as individuals and as organizations. Peter, I'll turn it back to you. Honey, um, thanks so much for describing some even opportunities that I'm, I'm hearing you share about how the partnership could even continue to grow and how you do what you do to stay connected and to, um, to collaborate more effectively. And I'm just wondering, um, you're already, you know, f focusing on, uh, you know, addressing the more upstream determinants of health and the structural, social structural determinants of health. How do you see the, the coalition continuing to evolve over time? Do you see any sectors that you haven't embraced in the past maybe joining the, the, co the consortium, the coalition, um, to focus on even larger social and structural determinants of health, for example? Absolutely. I mean, there are certainly big systems that uh, and and sectors that aren't a part of this, you know, for example, we've worked in the past with city planning and we've done um, some grant work, particularly around our racial and ethnic, ethnic approaches to community health around infrastructure on the streets and 
bikeable lanes and things like that. But clearly transportation is a sector that we could more heavily partner with. Housing has also been a really important part of what we do. We've had a lot of partners that are very active in the housing space because lead has been a huge issue. Earlier on in our 2015 assessment, that was one of our, our big areas. We continue to have a lot of lead issues, but that's really the only space in which housing has been part of our work. And there's so much more to that, right? There's homelessness and there's is affordability of housing and those sorts of things. Employment as another big issue, we really haven't engaged um, very meaningfully, I don't think, at this point with workforce development and um, economics organizations that are focused on economic stability for individuals and community-wide. Those are just some examples of places where I feel like in my mind we can we can grow deeper. We do have um, a 19-member steering committee with a lot of cross-sector representation, including the faith-based community, but that's also a space where I think we can certainly grow deeper and um, more in neighborhoods, you know, Part of trust is really understanding who has trust in those neighborhoods, who are the trusted leaders, and how do we build relationships with those folks to really um, honestly learn about what is needed. Because we know a lot about a lot of neighborhoods, but there are a lot of neighborhoods we don't, and we don't want any neighborhood not to be addressed. So, you know, those are definitely places where I think we can continue to grow. I mean, one of the challenges is um, support for infrastructure to do collective impact and to do those kind of things and then to measure the impact of what you're doing. Um, so I think we've been a little slow over the years because we're limited kind of by capacity. Many of us have other full-time jobs. And so that's often the kind of work that we do, right? It's, it's like we're all doing the best we can with the resources we have. But in a perfect world, I would love this cross-sector engagement to continue to expand and in a way that enables everyone to see themselves in the work and bring that perspective and the resources they have for efficiency and for the collective will to be realized. Um, because I think we, we don't need to duplicate efforts, but certainly without a lot of cross, without a lot of sectors there, you're missing big pieces of what helps keep people healthy and what helps allow them to be healthy if they aren't currently. Yeah, I agree, honey, and I, I really appreciate how you really kind of articulated the case as to why infrastructure is so important and including through investing in cultivating relationships between these different sectors. Um, as much as it's important to address opioids, for example, or social isolation or the other public health crises that we're, we're facing today, um, if we don't build a strong kind of foundation through partnerships such as this in the ways that you're describing, um, we become much, much less effective in siloed. So I do appreciate that lens. And now I'll go ahead and turn it back over to Nancy to uh, pose the last question for today's conversation before we wrap up. So, Heidi, one last quick question, and I think that you may have answered already throughout the dialogue, but want to give you a last chance to say, in addition to what you've talked about, including issues of trust and community engagement, playing Monday morning quarterback on your own work and, and as well as the work that you've seen in colleagues across the nation. What do you know today that you wish you had known at the beginning when, when you were getting started that you would give as a piece of advice to others who may be earlier in their consortium building? I love this question. There were a lot of things I was thinking about sharing, but one of them I think is what I just shared a few minutes ago, which is that it is so difficult to obtain support, long-term support for this kind of work. This work is not work that can be done overnight. These issues and inequities were created over generations and these systems are very complex and they are designed to get the results that they get. And so we have to undesign them 
and create new systems and structures that allow health to be available to all. And that takes a long time. And it also takes a ton of relationship building and capacity building and shared understanding and shared narrative and shared vocabulary. And all of that needs support financially, but also organizationally, philosophically. So what I wish I would have known is that even though I knew this was long-term work, I didn't realize how hard it would be to fund this work and to get support for this work while all of the competing tensions of the day-to-day work. And so a lot of the things that I will often say in our consortium meetings are, we're balancing the transactional with the transformational. Most of us live in the transactional world day-to-day. We get our jobs done day-to-day. We do what we have to do for our own immediate job. But this work is transformational, and we need the space and the time to be able to do that. And that requires us learning about each other and really trusting one another. And so it's, you know, really understanding that and, and being patient and recognizing that it's worth it for the long term, but there'll be some bumps along the road. There will be organizational turbulence in the consortium. There will be a lot of disagreements. But if you have trust and you believe in one another and you have a shared narrative, you can get through those bumps. You can get through having no money. You can get through not being sure where you're going to go next because you trust each other and you know that you're committed to this regardless of the of the resource situation. So things like, like I said before, move at the speed of trust. And I think I just wish I had known that more, but I wouldn't go back, you know, for a minute. Like, I think that this has changed me personally and it's certainly changed me professionally. And this is the most difficult yet rewarding work I've ever been a part of. And I hope that in 10 years, I can have the same conversation with you and be talking about other things I wish I had known 10 years in. I, for one, want to thank you personally, Heidi, for your insights, for your expertise, and for the work that you're helping to shepherd and lead for the citizens uh, in Northeast Ohio. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Peter, thank you, and Nacho for your leadership. Thank you both. And for all of you listening, thank you for the work that you do every day to improve the lives of others. And with that, we'll conclude our podcast.